Hey everybody, welcome back to the Fieldcraft Survival Podcast. I am George, and we are sponsored. Our first sponsor is Killcliff. You can find them at killcliff.com. They are a great supporter of the Navy SEAL Foundation. So if you are supporting a veteran uh, organization that helps veterans, families, and, and things like that, we are all about that. But Killcliff is kind of how I kind of explain to people is it's a clean energy drink. I mean, you have your Ignite, which is kind of like your pre-workout. It has 150 milligrams of clean caffeine. You can uh, get your Killcliff Recover anytime. Drink those anytime. I usually drink about, I don't know, when we have them, about three a day, it seems like. They have a variety of uh, flavors. My favorite flavor is either the orange or the lemon lime. And then they also have the Kill Cliff CBD. They have a new flavor. It's the strawberry lemonade. They have goat, grapeiest of all time. They have mango tango, and they have orange kush. So check them out, killcliff.com. Use code SURVIVAL10 to save 10% off your order. And just remember, it's a clean energy drink. They have B vitamins, electrolytes, great taste. So check them out at killcliff.com. Use code SURVIVAL10. Next up, we have Casey Highlights. You can find Casey Highlights at caseyhighlights.com. Uh, they have a variety of light bars. Uh, uh, excuse me. They have the eight-pillar lights. They have pod lights. They have everything you need for driving, off-road driving, if you're into that, overlanding, anything that – any place you can mount a, a light on a vehicle or anything, Casey Highlights has it. You can mount the light anywhere you want. We have um, – I know we have the pod lights. We have the light bars. We have a variety of all their lights on all of our rigs. And I'll tell you what, they have – they light my night up. You know what I'm saying? It's it's a really good lights, really good company. They've been around for 50 years. It's an iconic brand. I mean, you see when you see the Casey Highlights uh, smiley face on the truck, you know you're getting good quality. So check them out, CaseyHighlights.com. Use code Fieldcraft, one word, F I E L D C R A F T, Fieldcraft, to save 10% off your order. Yes, once again, every light you need, they have it all carbon pods they have the slight the cyclone they have slim light they have the flex light the gravity they have headlights pro sports daylighter i mean the list goes on uh, if you're looking for any kind of light system that you need for your vehicles or at home or anywhere you can put a light check out kchighlights.com next up in the in the shoot is triarch systems you can find them at triarchsystems.com i can't say anything bad about triarch systems they have the most reliable weapon systems on the planet. Uh, every, when we're at a range, we're either you can either find a Triarch pistol, uh, Triarch carbines, whatever we do for teaching and whatnot. We have it, and those things are workhorses. Round after round after round, we've had really no issues with them at all. So check them out at TriarchSystems.com. Use code FIELDCRAFT and save 5% on your build. I'm talking they have carbines, they have Glock pistols that you can customize, they have Tri-11s with the flat trigger. The things are works of art and they run like workhorses. They solid pieces of equipment. Check them out, triarchsystems.com. Use code Fieldcraft and save. One of the best weapon systems out there. Check them out, Triarch Systems. Last but not least, we have Aturo Tires. You can find them at aturo.com. 
we have a special rebate with them right now. If you go to aturo.com forward slash fieldcraft and buy four Trailblade tires, you will get a $75 gift card to either Amazon or Bass Pro. So let me do say that again. You're going to go to aturo.com forward slash fieldcraft. Let me, let me spell that out for you. It's A-T-T-U-R-O dot com forward slash fieldcraft. F-I-E-L-D-C-R-A-F-T. You buy four tires, and then you download and print your rebate, and then you redeem your rebate. It's that simple. You go online, you go check out their Trailblade tires, and you buy four, you get $75 gift card. We're going to highlight one of their uh, their tires right now. It's a Turo Trailblade, their AT All-Terrain. A Turo's Trailblade AT is built for light truck drivers who demand a strong, durable tire with versatile traction capabilities at an affordable price. And unlike many other all-terrain tires, the Trailblade AT delivers true style with a sidewall design inspired by real knife blades from Quartermaster Knives of Texas. Not only does the Trailblade AT look cool, its deep treads and large shoulder blocks are constructed for optimal all-weather performance in snow, mud, and wet conditions, truly enabling you to go your own way. See the Trailblade AT for yourself at aturo.com forward slash fieldcraft. Remember, you buy four tires, you get a gift card, or you get a gift card from Amazon or Bass Pro Shops for $75. So check them out. On the podcast today is Mike and Kevin, and they are discussing winter survival. So enjoy that. Take in all the education that they're giving you because it could save your life. Uh, all right, that's it. Enjoy. Oh, you could play it in the background. I was thinking you could hit. Welcome to the uh, Phil Cross Survival Podcast, everybody. Uh, me and Kevin Owens are in Montana. We figured to do a podcast about winter survival because it's cold as balls outside. So, um, wow, what a different world, Kev. Montana? The world. Oh, the world. <laughs> <laughs> Specifically the world. <laughs> the world sucks. Montana's pretty cool, bro. Yeah, Montana is, um, has been amazing. How many people in Montana? Supposedly like a million. It's a massive state. It's like they started a state and nobody showed up. Yeah. <laughs> I love when I go into a town like Great Falls and I'm like, man, yeah, it's a big town, you know, Great Falls. Mm-hmm. You go there and it's like, um, it's like not big at all. It's the size of like half of Prescott. I'm really surpri- surprised <laughs> that they're, they're, they're playing the COVID thing as, as heavily as they are in like really rural places of Montana. And maybe they want to protect what they have. Maybe that's the mindset. You, but you would think there's so few people that they, they'd, they'd tone it down a little bit, not like the city. But I, I guess the, the uh, tourism season has been pushed radically to the right into the winter almost, into the colder months because, because of the lockdown restrictions. And then people got released and they all had cabin fever and they all flocked to Montana. Yeah. So maybe, you Did know. Did you say fucked to Montana? Flocked. Oh, okay. Come on, man. Sorry, I'm just, I'm just trying to lighten the mood. <laughs> How is it that you can, that you could ban like tourism industries and small business, but you're allowed to protest? I mean, I, we know this. Well, is, you got to get political know, right I'm, off the bat. No, I'm trying. We said we weren't going to get political. I'm trying. it's so annoying and it's so, it brings me down, man. You got, you got, you got left wing propaganda machine mm-hmm. banning Everybody that doesn't agree with them. How is that American, man? What happened? Including me. I've been banned. Oh, especially you. American contingency got banned. Um, a couple days later, our backup account got banned. Mm-hmm. Our ability to send a link, AmericanContingency.com, which, dude, like, again, there's nothing 
political about this at all. No. Simply reporting what is going to take place in your backyard. Yeah. Staying, saying, stay away. There's a riot. There, there's a demonstration here. Stay away. Banned. Like, they don't want people to know. It, it, it's Banned. so, I don't know. Yeah, and then, um, you know, an article just came out from uh, Recoil Web, the Recoil Magazine, the web version, and talking about this in depth. And mass suppression today, I guess, via Twitter. On, well, we, we got some intel through some people that are tied to the tech industry that this is a, a, a and everybody knows this, any of but it's, it's a concerted effort focused on every voice that disagrees with anything the left says until the election or up to the election to try and influence the election. So that that's a... Or anything the right says. I'm sorry, anything the, yeah. the right says that doesn't agree with, with the Biden campaign. It's, it's, it's an effort to get Biden elected, you know? Well, everybody um, said, Mike, jump on parlor. That's the place you don't get suppressed. Well, here's the inherent problem with parlor is they've been accused of banning the left. I don't want to be on a platform that bans anybody. Should, well, you ban, ban the extreme left and the extreme right, right? If you're, yeah. if you're spouting hate, like if I owned a, a platform, I'd ban Antifa, but I'd also ban the KKK and everybody else on both extremes, right? Yeah. If you're, you're spouting violence. Well, it's about law and order. If you just yeah. simply follow the letter of the law mm -hmm. and you say, hey, if you incite violence yeah. or you're advocating for violence, mm -hmm. you should be banned. Yeah. So yeah. Sean King should be banned, but he's not. He's promoted and he advocated is. upon. Yeah. And he literally says, I'll hit the streets and burn down the city. Yeah. And, yeah. and people listen to that. Mm -hmm. But it, that's okay. Yeah. That's yeah. It. It's just crazy. It's, and, um, you know, this, yeah. is a good, this is a good winter survival top, topic. <laughs> it is. Well, you know, we got to get this stuff out of the way. I know. I mean, um, we're, we're actually here in Montana. Man, I, I wish people, this is, just, just thinking about it before we continue on. I wish people understood how, how really non-political we, we aren't. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can't really be in the military and be super political. No. I mean, your, your ideology is driven by your environment. And you, you work and operate in an environment where, at least we did, where politics wasn't really a thing. I mean, yeah. politically at the higher levels, I realized at senior ranks, running programs and dealing with chiefs of station, mission, et cetera, then yeah, you run into that, those, those hiccups. But for the most part, when you're just serving... Yeah, you don't you don't get a deal of that, and I, I've never been a political person. Mm -hmm. I've always wanted to vote for the right person, um, and I, I think we're in a dire circumstance either way. Um, it just it just seems like there's a lot of divisiveness that's leading us down a dark path, which ties into what we advocate for is being prepared. Mm -hmm. like, like I was in the military until you when Obama got elected twice, didn't vote for him, would never vote for him. But you know what I didn't do? I didn't go out in the streets and protest and riot and burn shit down. You know what I did? I served my country. I got up every day and went to work. I deployed under Obama several times and basically did his bidding and uh, got on with my life. But uh, yeah, the other side doesn't look at it that way. I think most Americans now are feeling really isolated because they fall into this that similar category where they don't want to be politically immersed or involved. Mm -hmm. because one, they just can't deal with it because it's they have draining. so... It's yeah, draining. it's draining. Mm -hmm. Like, they just want to get up and go to work. Like, when I see this, uh, the Amy Connie... Um, Comey Barrett. Uh, Comey, Coney Barrett. I'm like, man, like, to take a woman who mm -hmm. has who has been serving in, in a, uh, a great capacity at, as a lawyer, as a, as a judge, 
and then to destroy her. Attempt, un- yeah. Attempt, attempt to, to destroy, destroy her. her yeah. And Discredit unravel her and ask her if she's ever sexually assaulted people. Come on. Give me a... Disgusting. How distasteful disgusting. is that? Disgusting, yeah. It, then it begs the question, like, what are we in for? And I, yeah. I think, you know, somebody on YouTube made this hilarious comment about us saying we're fear-mongering and... Yeah, you always get that. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's like, that, that's what you said before when we weren't making any money <laughs> as a small business. <laughs> and, and we... And we we weren't impacting a lot. Like, oh, you guys are just fear-mongering. For what? Why would we fear-monger? Mm-hmm. For our own shits and giggles? No, because we understand kind of seeing the worst side of warfare, what, if you don't get prepared or don't prepare in advance, does. And we don't want that to happen to the American people. Mm-hmm. And that's why we have these conversations. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, the, this idea that, well, one, this idea that we have anything to do with what's going on is, is hilarious. But we're not fear-mongering when we just tell the truth. The truth is the truth, and it'll always be the truth, no matter what. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But people don't want to experience truth. Yeah. They, that's exactly... When somebody goes, I don't want to deal with that. Like, If you want to be displaced from truth and you're, and you're uh, going to own that, then fine. But if you don't want to deal with the truth and then you suppress everybody else's ability to seek truth, uh, that's problematic. Yeah, because the it, truth is, we're in, we're in, a, we're going to be in a world of hurt. Oh yeah, either way the election goes, it's going to be bad. Mm-hmm. If if Trump gets elected, then um, the left is going to go nuts, and they're going to feel like they can do whatever. Everything is justified to include murder, which they've murdered people already. And then if uh, Biden gets elected, these lunatics in the street are not just going to go home. They're going to want all prisons emptied into the streets. They're going to want all borders open. They're going to want to abolish the police, which is insane. All insane well, and the demands. Right, the right wing, too. Yeah, yeah. And, and Biden will never uh, crack down on them. He'll try to appease them and appease them. But you can't do all the things they're asking for or demanding. And there'll be violence. So either way, it's going to go bad. Yeah, and I want to mention the right wing. <laughs> like, they're going to come out of the woodwork and mm-hmm. incite violence mm-hmm. when, when they don't get their way. Yeah. And that's yeah. scary. It's already happening all over the, the streets where they're confronting these people. And it's like, dude, your life, nobody's life is worth these social issues that we could work through democ- in a democratically... I don't know if we can work through them anymore. I think we're too divisive. Nobody will give an inch. Yeah. Well, Uh, I I don't think the answer is hitting the streets and beating each other. No, I don't either. But, you know, we've talked about somebody who's a centrist and and can can pull people together. I I don't know. I hate to say it, but I think that time has passed. That one side won't give an inch and neither will the other one. Well, then what's the answer? I don't know. I really don't. Um, I think one side has to sweep... The presidency, the Senate, and the, and the, and the um, Congress, and that's you know in a massive majority, and that's the will of the American people. And the other side is just going to have to go along, you know. But um, they won't. I know they won't. Either way, exhausting, exhausting. I'm exhausted already. I want to get a cabin in the mountains and just freaking shut the whole world out. Kill yeah. my dinner and eat it. Yeah, that's Monday. I don't know what I'll do Tuesday. I'll be bored, dear. <laughs> Chop wood. Then whenever you're bored, just chop wood. That's like when you, whenever you're bored on social media, you just troll social media. Just, just chop wood. That's the equivalent of uh, scrolling. So what's liking. what's the plan with with IG for the company? So we're keeping an Instagram. I mean, what we will do is not. We will never host um, outside of this last little thing we're doing with the bug out challenge. We'll never host organic content again on that platform or or Facebook. Now, YouTube, we will host content on there because YouTube, 
despite the suppression, um, we advocated for ourselves and they gave us our account back. There was a process, you know, they, they banned us. We requested uh, an appeal, and we won the appeal. We didn't even know why we got banned initially, right? No, no, we didn't. Yeah, and we still don't. But yep. but we appealed it, and we got it back. And so, look, all these all these platforms are making huge mistakes, grave mistakes, by suppressing people's voices and 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 banning them, because they will get litigated. I mean, the the um, I forget the policy number on it, but the the policy on social media, you you can't edit and ban and control messaging because that makes you a publisher. And when you become a publisher, the laws on how you do that are completely different than an open forum for social media. Mm -hmm. So they already crossed the, they've already crossed the line. And I mean, a lot of centers today have called for uh, the relooking of those laws. The FCC need to get involved. Yeah, yeah. they do. Yeah. Um, but you know, it will continue to push an Instagram to drop the seed. And then if you want to get more deeply rooted in what's going on with Philcraft, YouTube and Twitter, well, the two platforms we'll focus on, but also organically hosting our own content on our website. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think that's going to be huge for us because, um, to be honest, I'm just tired of dealing with it. I'm mm -hmm. tired of dealing with uh, uh, the uh, the drama of what we're dealing with. I might even I might even take it to locals. I mean, AmericanContingency.com or AmericanContingency.locals.com has been super good to us. Yeah, it's it's a it's they, they don't suppress us. We moderate our own content, and they're a secure server. So it's all the things that we want. Versus, if I created my own hosting on our website, it would bog us down, man. Yeah, I mean, those, that's why we, that's why people who are members pay that five bucks, and for Philcraft, they just be paying five dollars for the um, subscription to the content. Mm -hmm. And maybe we'll just do that. We'll just put a firewall up. Yeah, we we'll refocus on a lot more educational content and videos, and and it can be. Somewhat control, yeah. That, yeah. That's, that's probably. I good. might, I might do that for you. I might that that first because we talked about you doing a ballistic um, block of instruction, but recording a long, yeah. Do, do basically the two day long range shooting class on because uh, a lot of people have hit me up, and my my initial fear was I don't want people overseas getting a hold of it and then using it against our troops, right? Because one of the snipers, I don't know if people know this, but one of the snipers caught in Iraq with a rifle had John Plaster's book with him, The Ultimate Sniper. Yeah, they had it. and They were using that. I don't know how effective. I bought it is. that as a twelve-year-old at U.S. Cavalry up in, <laughs> in Fort Bragg. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, but if we did that, we'd keep it only. Can we do that? We keep it only to the U.S. We can only. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 We could. So on Shopify, who, who's been really great uh, with us, um, we could block out anybody that we want to block out, like yeah. country-wise, for particular purchases, mm -hmm. which is the, one of the benefits of Shopify. I, I, I think that the the answer to social media and all, even though they're, they're, they're worth a lot of money, is everybody, not even conservatives, but centrists and anybody who believes in free speech walks away and shuts the whole thing down. And it just becomes a left-wing nutjob hosting page. You we, know? Need, we need a home for them to go to. Though. Yes, we do. Yeah, you, they have to migrate, right? Because they're not just going to shut it down and, 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 and go into withdrawal symptoms because they have no social media, right? Because they can't yeah. look at chicks dancing on <laughs> well, it needs TikTok. We, we need a social space that allows for free yeah. social, um, uh, a, a free social form, yeah. but also has a revenue plan, right? These businesses can't survive and, and put that much effort into them. Mm -hmm. Like you have to be able to moderate, like the crazies, right? Yeah, you do. There can't be, yeah, I mean, the first amendment in this country is a little bit of a, a myth, honestly, you know, yeah. because um, 
try going out and saying something that's divisive outside, you know, into your local town and yelling it on, on a podium, you'll be arrested in a heartbeat, right? Mm -hmm. um, but you have to keep the crazies off who are advocating violence, right? Yeah. Um, I think that's the line for me. Yes. I mean, Twitter, yeah. tw you, there's pornography. I've never seen it before. It's weird because the, people say that pornography, pornography is a thing. But I don't want to search, tweet, twat. You know, mm -hmm. I don't want to go. Hey, let me see if there's porn on there. Mm -hmm. um, but when when you have an app like that, that's Twitter, that's a social media open spaced um, platform, and they have pornography, but they're suppressing people's voices because they don't like what it, what yeah. it stands for. Mm -hmm. It's just it's the analogy of standing up in the middle of a theater and yelling fire falsely. Mm -hmm. Like you can't do that. Mm -hmm. Is that protected under free speech? The answer is no. No, because that's that's the the point in which you cross the line. Mm -hmm. And I think just a balance. Look, man, and I, I want to continue to advocate this. I would be willing to be part of the process, advocate for the platform. I, I want all these whether it's centrist or conservative or, or whoever believes in free speech. I mean, there should be people on the left. There is people on the left who advocate for free speech and are not happy with the suppression, even though it's right-leaned mm -hmm. um, and right-targeted. Um, should, there should be somebody to step up the plate and go, listen, I, we are going to start the yeah. biggest platform and take away Yeah, why don't from like these a dozen billionaires get together and say, we're going to pump... A billion dollars into yeah. this thing and, and take it over and then yeah jack if you're listening to this you know what's <laughs> don't don't uh, don't suppress either side right yeah unless they're crossing the line and advocating violence yeah that's it yeah so you know we're, we're doing why the don't you take like some of your billions of dollars and do that mike I know it's all these. <laughs> you're ma you're making billions of dollars on American contingency. I see you driving that new Mercedes Sprinter van. Yeah, yeah. it's it's there's called a loan. Yeah, I'm yeah. Wait, dude. I people if people only really knew. Like the state of my life. Like I live a great life in, immersed in this because I own the company. But I, I sure as hell haven't been paying myself. That's mm -hmm. that's one thing. Like well, I have even to be if you forced. did, you wouldn't have time to spend it. I know, you right? work eighteen hours a day. Yeah. I, I, if if I had a million dollars right now, I wouldn't spend it on anything. There's nothing I want except for that cabin in the woods. Yeah. That's it. And I'd give you like the outhouse. You could sleep in <laughs> I want to hook you up, man. Um, you can turn into what you want. But yeah. if I have to poop, you gotta move out of the way. <laughs> um so we're in Montana in Flathead Valley or flat, I, I can't remember what it's called. It's Flathead something, but it's in between Kalispell and Whitefish. This place has become one of my favorite places, which is west Don't of Don't tell Glacier. people because there's a lot of here. I know. Don't, I mean, <laughs> Shh, this place horrible. is disgusting. Horrible. horrible. <laughs> there's homeless sitting outside right now. It's, it's horrible. Um, but we're here to receive the guys after we just did a whole bunch of training, but to receive the bug out challenge. I know you run mobility. Tell me about the whole concept behind this. Well, the concept was bugging out from Portland, from the courthouse in Portland to uh, Montana on motorcycles, a family. So a uh, man and a woman and a little baby, a little fake baby. That, that's, uh, man, that baby's pretty cold by now. And, um, moving across 600-mile journey over two days, um, carrying as much fuel as they can. And then uh, they have a cache of fuel, but halfway through that they're going to get, they're going to stop bed down for the night, uh, tonight, and then they'll be here tomorrow. And it was just a proof of concept to learn lessons about bugging out on a motorcycle, which is a great platform. You can go in and out between traffic. It's very versatile. You can't carry that much gear, but you are very mobile and uh, traffic jams and, and you can go off road with the right bike. So it was, it was for that and to find a, a bunch of lessons learned and uh, just, just gather some content. So they'll be here tomorrow. Yeah, I just got an update. Um they said 
they are updated and they're looking cold. This wow. is update bug out Portland. And let me see if I can pull it up here. Um, to our next location. Um, we are like a train feature away from the highway, which is down over here. Uh, we've been paralleling it on this smaller road. Um, so we took a dirt road, got up here to a higher vantage point. Um, the next town that we're going to be skirting is over this hill, down this hill. Um, and on the other side of that is all BLM. So that's where we've uh, leveraged um, AMCOM and um, American Contingency guys and uh, the Fieldcraft Network um, to hide a cache. So we're standing by right now. We're a little bit ahead of schedule. Um, standing by right now waiting for grid coordinates um, so that we can skirt um, the perimeter of the city and then access that BLM land and try to find this cache to dig up. Uh, the cache should have extra fuel, which should get us to um, the mountains uh, towards Montana tonight where we're going to bed down. So um, just waiting to hear back from our asset and then um, we're just going to keep on pushing down this smaller road uh, all the way over to access that BLM land. So. <laughs> Phil looks smoked right now. Um, so the cool, the cool thing about the, what these guys are doing is it's real. You know, I, I wouldn't <laughs> taken from the Bear Grylls uh, experimentations. Um, he had a show, and it, it came out that he was sleeping in hotels and everything else. Mm -hmm. And I told these guys, and, and they knew it straight from the get go, because you know we're all about integrity at Philcraft. It's like we're not doing anything. Um, that we're going to advertise as real and not be real, completely mm -hmm. immersed in the experience. I mean, easily these guys can go and they can get a hotel and it's easy for them to, to rest overnight. But the idea is to do a bug out uh, self-sustained. And, you know, they're talking about the network and tying into an asset who's going to provide a cachet. That's exactly what we want to educate people on. Like, you're not going to be able to bug out and just, you know, willy-nilly just send it. You have to do a lot of pre-planning um, to make sure that everything that you're you're doing uh, fits in the contingencies that you're bound to run into. You're going to have hiccups along the way, especially in a real bug out where security becomes the number one consideration because everybody's out to potentially one up each other um, because there's uh, the scarcity of resources. Yeah, if you have the uh you have resources and equipment and uh, you're a target, right? So you got to be real careful. So you got to build that network prior so you don't have to go in there and barter with people you don't know. So, um, yeah, I really like to see how that uh, cachet goes. And uh, Phil's a, a former Marine Special Operations guy. So he's probably not that tough, you know, because he's, you know, the Marines. But uh, he, he looked cold on that video. But a pretty pretty tough guy, pretty smart guy. So he, yeah, he's he with Sarah well. too. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, Sarah's not his spouse, but the whole simulation was a yeah. was a a, a practiced uh, couple bugging out. Yeah, because the cool thing about bikes, uh, I've realized that operating overseas, when the Taliban started rolling on bikes instead of uh, Hiluxes, is you're harder to target. Mm -hmm. um, also, you're more mobile. So if you have a bike um, and you're able to get off road, like they're going on BLM um, right now and they're getting off the main roads, you can't do that, obviously, in a vehicle. You could mm -hmm. hop curbs. You can get in between cars. Pretty easy to get stopped. Yeah, yeah you, could, mm -hmm. you could bug. You could literally bug out, and that's super important, um, especially 
when you look at everybody hitting the roads to try to get out of a bad situation. Yeah. Um, so that ends uh, on, um, what is that, Friday, tomorrow. tomorrow mm -hmm. A 48-hour bug out. It, they're going to suffer tonight. I know they're gonna, <laughs> it's going to be yeah. a bad night. Yeah. Um, but we're ending that at our local brewery in Kalispell. And then we're going to do a podcast with them uh, at the very end, which is going to be real cool. In fact, we, we, the podcast equipment we're using right now, um, they're going to podcast. Uh, you know, maybe they just podcast alone. You know, him and Sarah yeah. talk about the experience. Mm -hmm. uh, that'd be really cool. That would be cool because they can feed off each other and be like, hey, remember this and remember that. And, yeah. and they, they went through the same experience. So yeah. I'm sure they have layers upon layers upon layers of clothing. But uh, yeah, but their hands, do they have, I, I can't remember if they have heated like grips on their bike. Like, no. Uh, no, they don't. No. <laughs> they look cold. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that, that's a brutal, that's a brutal mm -hmm. um, trip. Mm -hmm. um, so the, one of the topics that we're talking about is winter survival and, and resilience in winter survival. Uh, statistically, more people die um, outdoors from hypothermia and exposure to the elements in the wintertime than any other thing by far. It's a mm -hmm. huge margin of error. Uh, you grew well, up in Ireland. Yes. And people, don't, people think of Ireland as being this green, lush, It's green because it rains country. all the time. Yeah, it rains all the time. <laughs> What are the winters like there? And then do you remember dealing with that at mm -hmm. all? Yeah, the, the thing about hypothermia that makes it really, really dangerous is it doesn't have to be super cold outside, especially um, there's actually been hypothermia cases in Camp McCall when I worked there in, in uh, hot weather and guys would, get a, guys would get heat exhaustion and they'd, they'd soak them down and they'd put them in the back of a pickup truck and drive back uh, to the aid station. And they're soaking wet and they're in the back of this vehicle in the wind and they're driving at 60 miles an hour and they have freaking hypothermia by the time they get back. It doesn't have to be super cold. And the reason hypothermia is so dangerous is that people will, uh, their mind kind of goes first, right? And people uh, will sit down and relax and go to sleep and die in the woods. Uh, basically, once we, we had a lot of hypothermia, especially in the military, when you're up in the in, in the mountains of Ireland in the winter for uh, sometimes weeks at a time, uh, you get wet, you get cold, you get tired, you get malnourished, and then your inner core starts pulling all the blood and all the heat from your extremities back into your core to, to uh, protect your core, protect all the vital organs in your core. And then once that core temperature drops only a few degrees, then you, you just sit down and you curl up in a ball and you go to sleep and uh, you never wake up, basically. So we, we had a lot of problems with it. And I remember in selection in Ireland, we, they were very, very paranoid about it because they'd seen it so many times. And uh, you're so susceptible to it because you're tired and hungry and, and uh, you've been patrolling for, for days or weeks at a time. Um, I, I remember one... <laughs> I remember... Uh, so back then, it, like... It's probably changed now. This is a long, long time ago. But during selection, like we were carrying HK-33 rifles with blanket, blanket adapters and blanks in them for all the assaults and all that. And you carry like seven magazines or whatever in your kit. If you put that weapon down at any point out of arm's reach and an instructor caught you, they'd take the rifle from you. And they'd make you build a bow and arrow in the woods and like 30 arrows. And guys would be doing the assault across the objective with a bow and arrow um, as a teaching point, right? And I remember they, they made this guy build a spear. 
and they sent him in the woods and he built this freaking spear and he, he uh, it was like six feet long and he had it strapped to the top of his pack and he was trying to walk through the woods with this spear and he couldn't understand why he couldn't. He was, he was, he had hypothermia, man. He wasn't even thinking straight and he's trying to walk through the woods like your dog when your dog picks up a big stick and he can't get through the door. Really? Because <laughs> yeah. oh, he was cold. He was cold and his mind was starting to go, man. And they were like, okay, let's get this guy. Let's get him there. Uh, you know, dry clothes on, let's get him some hot drinks, let's get him by the fire and, and get him back. And if you catch it early enough, you can pull him back pretty quickly. But uh, once you've had hypothermia once, you are susceptible to it in the future, in, 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 in the future like, um, like heat exhaustion is the same thing. But it can come on very, very quickly. It doesn't have to be that cold for it to hit you. And once it hits you, if you don't catch it, then um, you, you can die very, very quickly. Once that, that core temperature drops, it's extremely dangerous. So um, Phil knows all about it. Um, I'm sure Sarah does too. She grew up in New York State, in Western New York State. She's dealt with the cold her whole life. But sitting on a bike like that and having that, that you know, 60 mile an hour wind coming at you, unless you have layers and layers and layers of clothing, then um, they're going to be chilled to the bone. Yeah, I, I think people underestimate the cold because... Um, if people aren't spending a lot of time in the cold and they're mm-hmm. not experienced to like kind of the far right extremes of it, yeah. um, then they don't understand it. And then before you know, it's too late. It's not yeah. something that you could like test and evaluate. If mm-hmm. you're, if you get too cold or hypothermic, like mild hypothermia has a mortality rate of, I think about 20% as I read it. And, um, severe hypothermia has a mortality rate of 40%, which is super high mortality rate. So mm-hmm. if you're severely hypothermic, the likelihood of you recovering is, is, 40, I mean, 60%, right? Mm-hmm. So the likelihood of you dying is 40%. That's a high mortality rate and, and you can't come back from it. Yeah. And people, the, the unique thing about hypothermia is you need an external heat source. You can't just produce heat on your own. Mm-hmm. You have to have, Enough. yeah, yeah, you, you're, yeah. meaning your body doesn't self-regulate mm-hmm. the heat once you're hypothermic. Um, so mild hypothermia could quickly turn into severe hypothermia if you don't have the ability to start a fire, or make a fire, which like you said, is difficult when your cognition starts to go. Mm. Um, so if you, if you haven't taken the right steps in planning and preparation prior, then you're already gonna be behind. Yeah, that, that's, you remember all those times when you were in the field and your feet are freezing, your hands are freezing, and that's, that's your, your core pulling the blood back in from your extremities to, to protect the core, right? So um, yeah, I, I've been really cold many, many times in my career, as have you. Um, I hate the cold. Cold hurts, man. Oh, it's painful. I went to <laughs> ranger school in, in, the, in the wintertime, and the coldest I've ever been is during that school. One thing I did, one thing I did realize um, that could help you is movement, like physical yeah, movement. Yeah. Like we would get into a patrol base, and we had to dig foxholes anyway. And I would volunteer just to start digging foxholes. Yeah. Like people mm-hmm. were, like some people when they get physically tired and cold, they shut down, mm. which is they say is one of the worst things you could do. Because yeah. if you fall asleep mm-hmm. because your 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 body your core body temperature is slowing down to to harvest your heat. And your body core temperature starts crashing and crashing and crash, you'll simply die. Yeah. You'll fall yeah. asleep and never wake up. Mm-hmm. So I like to move, like yeah. physically move. So I think if I was in a survival circumstance where um, there wasn't external heat options, I would continue to move. I would not stop. 
Yeah, and but you down. have to stop eventually. Like if yeah. you're out there for days and days and days, you have to stop. So what we would do, we would come into a patrol base and security is always first priority. And we would set up 360 degree security, interlocking fields of fire, dig positions, all that stuff. And then when you ab- when you went to like 33% security or 50% security, your equipment on your body, all your clothing and socks and boots are soaking wet. You have to get dry clothes on if you're going to get any sleep. And sleep is like super important. And you can go without sleep for you know, a couple of days, but you, you are not functioning at your full. And if you're in combat and you need your, your, your full faculty or everything working, right, to survive, then you have to get some sleep. So we would, like, take off our wet uniforms, rinse out our socks, put them under our armpits to try and use our body to dry them out a little bit. We'd put on dry clothing, and then we would put our wet clothing in the sleeping bag with us to try and dry it out a little bit. Mm. And then we would get a little bit of sleep, a couple hours sleep. And then when you get up in the morning and it's freezing, it really sucked. But you have to put all that wet clothes back on and take your dry clothing, put it inside a, a, a waterproof bag, put it back in your pack, and then get ready to move again. Because if you if you take the temptation of moving in, in dry clothing, then it's wet within... 10 minutes of walking yeah. and now you're carrying wet equipment in your backpack which freaking doubles the weight and uh, it's just self-pre- self-preservation you become really good at it and very proficient at it and you can stay out there for a very long time but you have to sleep you have to eat and you have to preserve that one set of dry clothing that helps you helps you um get a little bit of sleep whenever you have that, that time and, and you don't you don't spend years and years in the army in a place like Ireland or Finland or Sweden and not get very very good at operating in that area. I imagine like uh, so when I worked Force Mod, we uh, we sent one of our guys in Soldier Systems that deal with all our clothing and body armor and all that type of stuff. We sent him to Finland to work with the Finnish army up in the north on cold weather stuff and uh, they were obviously very 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 proficient at, at operating in cold weather like they had tents and all the tents they had they they didn't have the big fiber um carbon fiber poles and all that they had like the tents that were made were made to be used with sticks that you pull out of the woods so because when the carbon fiber pole breaks then um you could you could just get a, a piece of wood and they were built that way and small countries like F- uh, Finland and Sweden and Norway and they, they, their policy basically is because they're still scared of Russia right they're, they're, they all meet Russia up in the north right there and their, their policy is um, to pull into the, into the mountains and fight a guerrilla war so they'll be up there for weeks, months, years fighting a guerrilla war from the high ground mm. and a lot of countries do that when they're bordered by a big massive aggressive country on the border that that they know they can't beat russia in a in a stand-up fight so that's their policy is to pull into the mountains um we we've been when i worked for smart and i'm, I'm not going to give away anything classified here but we took every piece of kit we we could we had and we did a bunch of tests in cold weather and we took it into a there's a chamber in a, one of the bases that you go inside, you can actually pull a truck into this or an aircraft and you can drop the temperature down and you can go down to like minus 50 if you want. So we took all our equipment in there with a bunch of SF guys and we, our force mod guys went down there and they went in and they, um, they documented how equipment functioned at minus 10, at minus 20, at minus 30. And obviously batteries drain very, very quickly. Optics get get jammed so you can't Mm. manipulate them at certain temperatures. Bolts freeze on guns and all that. So we really wanted to know exactly what our equipment does 
if we have to go up into the high north and, and, and fight in those really, really uh, sub, sub-zero temperatures. So we documented every piece of kit and how our sleeping bags worked and how two layers and three layers and four layers worked and 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 a super interesting report when i read it when when the guys got back very very interesting so some stuff worked better than you would think and some stuff failed miserably very early on so mm. i wonder if those 5590s how those 5590s fare uh they they drained a lot yeah they drained very very quickly um and batteries are a huge problem for, for militaries yeah. all over so the world. We're so on, dependent on so many batteries yeah. that, uh, yeah, and there's, there, nobody has come up with a really good battery like that. Like, you remember doing recce stuff and you're running cameras and radios and night vision and you're just so much batteries and they're so heavy. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Uh, uh, energy conservation and stuff. And, and, and when I worked for Smod, I, I saw a bunch of innovation in doing it. Remember we were in Robin Sage and had that little wheel thing where they charged the batteries. Solar it has been attempted, but not real, um, not real efficient, you know? Um, you had a trickle charge that might keep your stuff okay for a while, but in cold weather, it just sucks the life out of those batteries. Um, so super interesting report, really enjoyed that. Um, didn't go down and stay in the cold chamber with them. I, 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 I had way too much to do. <laughs> um, but, but I read the report and it was really interesting. Yeah, I, I think um, people have always um, similarly not understood this stuff because like you said, it's, it's very unique to get into those situations because it's cold outside. You're like, oh, I'm not going outside. Yeah, yeah. So it, until you're in that worst case scenario, that's why I, I, I think in a stuff. war, like would, would, would armies really be fighting in minus... 50 minus 60 yeah. i mean stalingrad was World minus two, yeah. 50 yeah like but there was german soldiers who would get relieved to be on guard duty in, in in stalingrad and they'd be frozen solid standing up when their buddy come to relieve them the next oh, morning yeah. like dead the ardent so, forest it was yeah, a huge yeah huge i guess i guess if you're forced to you would but um i i think it'd be very defensive in nature both sides would probably hunker down and uh, because it's so cumbersome to be able to move and run in combat with layers and layers and layers of clothing on you because you sweat so much that um, now you're soaking wet underneath, even if you have Gore-Tex equipment. And uh, now you stop and get into a defensive position. You're really good to be, you really got to be good at swapping out those layers. Remember we used to take our... Uh, like polypro or thermal uh, underwear. And yeah. we used to sew Velcro all the way down the side so, so you, you could actually them put them on yeah. and take them off without taking your boots off. Yeah. Um, I never actually saw those commercially sold. We, we all just modified them the, the, the way we needed to. I mean, there's a companies doing Snapfast and stuff like that, but mm. I don't think I've ever seen that either because the idea would be, hey, you got to take them off, but we would never, we rarely take off our boots no, no. in war. Mm -hmm. Um because it, it's just problematic, right? Yeah. If you're in the middle of a patrol base and you get blown out, yeah. it, you don't want to have yeah. your boots off. Your boots off, yeah. Um, um, well, let's talk about the, the clothing stuff because it's important to give you guys information on kind of how to set yourself up for this. I, what, I was talking to Chanel, uh, my personal assistant, before we went out to Montana, and I'm like, hey, do you have winter clothing? And she said, yeah, I have. I have, I have a heavy jacket probably, did she? I, well, she said, yeah, I have uh, uh, clothing. And I'm like, so what do you have? Like, oh, I have a coat. And she, she, she has a coat, but her coat is a cotton sweatshirt hoodie. Yeah. And so I'm like, you know, the weather is, is, it changes there rapidly. Like we were up there and it was nice. And the next thing you know, you're getting sleeted on mm -hmm. and then you're wet. Um, do you have like an outer layer 
of mid, a middle layer um, in any kind of any kind of layers, and she had I would have realized that she had no understanding of it. And then I said, "Hey, do you have hiking boots?" And she said, "Yes, I have Adidas boots." And I was, and when she said Adidas boots, the first thing I think about is approach boots because mm-hmm. that's the only boots really Adidas makes. So she thought her hiking boots were boots, but they're, they're like not. Cross-trainers. They're cross trainers. Yeah. So they're she tennis grew shoes. Up in Utah, you think she'd know how to? Yeah. The weather. You know, they're low ankle. Yeah. Uh, shoes. So we had to take her and get her some boots that were actually hiking boots uh, that had a Gore-Tex lining. So mm-hmm. they, they would protect her from the cold, but also from the wet. Because that's one of the, like you said, if, if you get wet, your core body temperature crashes even more because what you have is a cold layer. And if that cold layer is exposed to the wind, which mm-hmm. is the ambient air, then that's only going to increase yeah. or decrease the temperature in this case and decrease the temperature of yeah, you. Yeah, because your core is going, it's still circulating blood. So it's circulating that warm blood from your core to your feet yeah. and pulling that cold blood back to your core, which <laughs> yeah. is dropping your core temperature. Like it, in uh, I can't recall when I was working out there where they do selection and all, a lot of special operations courses. In the summer when, when it's brutally hot in, in, in North Carolina, uh, when guys would be doing the obstacle course and they'd be, they look like they're going to be a heat casualty. They take them over and stick their arms up to the elbow in a bucket of ice, ice water. And what that did was it would circulate that cold air back into the core and it would lower their core temperature, which you wanted at that point because you're overheating. Super effective, better than, than spraying them with water and drinking, even drink, obviously you're drinking water, but that was a super effective technique. But the opposite is also true. Like if you have cold hands, cold feet, um, cold head, cold head, head cold yeah. extremities, then that core temperature is pumping that hot blood up, pulling cold blood back into the core and then dropping the core temperature. Um, and I then just, people, people think, that, oh, I have a big heavy jacket or I have a big sweater. You need multiple layers of light clothing that traps air in between each layer and keeps you warm and keeps and you dry, insulated yeah. and dry. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the first layer is the, uh, the base layer. That's the, the, the part that most people miss uh, interpret and then they, they don't wear properly. I, what you need is you need a wick away layer, mm-hmm. right? You need a, a layer of clothing that's close to your body that wicks away moisture Yes, because you're, you're bound to perspire. Yep. The problem with perspiration, if you have like a cotton shirt on is all that gets trapped and it doesn't wick away, meaning it doesn't dry it. Um, to, it doesn't bring that moisture to the surface to allow it to dry, uh, which is the wicking process. Uh, and then you wind up being soaking wet the whole time. Yeah. Um, so it's important to have a wick away layer um, that wicks sweat off your skin. And that's the underwear layer, the, the part that touches your body. And that includes underwear, uh, whether it's long john type underwear, meaning that it's like they're like pants um, and, and a long sleeve shirt. The, the base layer is one of the most important layers. Yeah. And people don't understand that. Even in the military, like um, I, my guys, I used to heavily emphasize before emphasize before we go patrolling when you start a patrol or you start a hike you should be cold stepping off because you're going to get warm and you see these people who step off with all their snivel gear on and within you know half a mile they're peeling layers off and uh, that that's dangerous yeah you need you need to have uh uh, what's the one that we used to use as a base layer that was i remember the sticker and what it looked like but you still wear the crap out of it it was it, it was like when the military and special operations was getting first introduced to base layers. Like the polypro stuff? It was like polypro, yeah. but it had like a sticker. I can't remember the specific proprietary name. There's there's different versions yeah. of mm-hmm. it. 
Um, There's a newer version that SOCOM are now looking for that that came from the place where you used to work. Yeah. It's getting pushed down. And I was hoping to get a set of it when I left, but it was really nice set of kit. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, you know, the whole point of a base layer is to uh, move perspiration away from the skin, which is wicking, obviously. And then uh, you want long style uh, base layers, especially if it's cold outside. But one of the things that um, you could do uh, for specific base layers is look at a synthetic versus uh, an organic cotton type. You, you don't want organic cotton next to your body. Organic cotton super comfy, mm-hmm. but they have synthet- synthetic blends now that have wick away um, intellectual property that's tied to it um, that's super effective. Um, the next layer is the middle layer. And, you know, I'm talking about the layer in between the base um, and the layer between uh, the outer. Uh, the insulating layer retains body heat to protect you from the cold. And, and that's super important because um, many people, like we would wear, uh, like P- Patagonia was stuff that we were in special operations, but it, it was like this uh, thicker mesh, and it was like a good walking around mm-hmm. material. Mm. But when you're cold, that base layer allowed that to be insulated in between those two layers and allowed you to be super warm and comfy. And we used to use what's called PolyPro. Mm-hmm. Um, PolyPro is a pr- pr- proprietary blend um, and, and looks like Long John um, uh, cold weather gear, but our PolyPro was amazing at, at, at keeping you warm. Yeah, but it, you know, I wouldn't want people to think that we had that our whole career. Do you remember the old sweater? Oh gosh, the old sweater, and then the wet weather gear that wasn't yeah. Gore-Tex. It was like a trash bag on you that just yeah. trapped everything in. Um, you wake up soaking wet. You would, and that stupid sleeping bag we had—that big U.S. military sleeping bag—that just it soaked up every bit of water you could ever get. Yeah. And once you unrolled it and took it out of its trash bag because you didn't have a bag and you tried to re-roll it in the side of a mountain and the wind and rain, it it never went back into the bag the same way twice. And we came a long way in the military since we started to where we ended, you know, with with equipment and and rightly so. If you have people out in harm's way living in harsh conditions, they should have... Like the number one priority should be what they wear. It should be, (laughs) yeah. And it's such a small amount of money in the grand scheme of things. One abrams tank or one jet fighter could outfit the whole military with cool weather gear but i i I think the military like the regular army have come a long way too uh probably not quite where they should be but they have come a long way with 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 cold weather gear and stuff like that they have this ewix extreme cold weather clothing package that they get i don't think they all get it i think people like tent mountain division and stuff like i get it um but it's really good equipment as well yeah, we, we used to wear battle dress uniforms as our our uh, outer layer. Yeah. And so that that uniform, if it got wet, I mean, it actually did a real good job the summers and winters um, because it had, I'm assuming, some kind of nylon or some kind of plastic mm. blend into it where it did wick away moisture pretty effectively. But as you wash those uniforms mm. and you completely destroyed the f- fabric breakdown, I mean, it was like wearing like a lightweight cotton uniform yeah and so if it rained or you got a little bit of moisture on you you're soaking wet mm-hmm. um so we didn't really understand layering at all because we wore brown cotton shirts we wore polypropylene uh, uh some kind of uh mid layer that was acting as the middle layer and then the battle dress uniform or whatever uniform we were wearing was the outer layer so then when we started getting smart and we started introducing the cold weather systems um, we got the great, you know, the great issued. Uh, yeah, kit. that was the first time we got really good gear that yeah. was built by a company that actually knew what they were doing. What company uh, was that? Do you remember? I think it was Patagonia. 
Well, Patag- no, there was one right before Patagonia. The gray one? Yeah. I thought it was, um, uh, I've seen him. It's a, I can't remember the name of the company. I, I hate that because mm. it's right there. It's a, it's a small company, but it's like a special company for cold mm. weather gear. You know, we've never been issued our whole career boots, cold weather boots. Yeah. You know why? Yeah. Because nobody makes good boots in America. Because you have to be military equipment has to be yeah. made in America. Is it a barrier? Uh, then the Cochrans, these huge, those big, yeah, giant, horrible, co- yeah, the worst the, boots ever. The, so the boots uh, that special operations get, uh, Norway and Finland, places like that, make the best boots in the world for cold weather operations. So when I worked in Force Mod, we basically tested some boots in extreme cold weather and made a, a list of. These are boots you're authorized to buy with your own money, basically. You can buy small amounts of equipment with your own money, but it becomes a program or record that has to be very compliant, which means it has to be, every part of it has to be made in America, yeah. include the laces. Um, but nobody really makes good, top quality cold weather boots in, in, in the US. Mm. I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, w- one good middle layer is the polyester fleece. It's super lightweight. Oh, yeah. It also comes in those different weights. There's like 100, 200, 300. Um, but the cool thing about fleece is it breathes well, so you, you're less likely to overheat if, if you're on the move. And wh- what I like doing is I'll put the, I'll put the cold weather fleece on. Uh, uh, you know, I'll have like a Patagonia lightweight dry fit shirt. I'll have cold weather, cold weather fleece, and then I'll have an outer shell. And then if it starts to warm up, you could zip it down, mm. get a little bit more airflow through there. Yeah. Um, but the, the problem with the breathability is you know, you, you obviously are exposed to the wind and it's porous, um, but having that ability with the outside layer is where you crush it, you know? So the outside layer is a um, layer that's meant to protect you from rain and wind. Mm-hmm. I mean, just the, the, the things that are gonna make you colder. Yeah. So you wanna make sure that the outsh- uh, outside layer um, is waterproof, um, but also breathable. You know, you're gonna pay a lot of money for an outside you are. shell yeah. layer. Which one, what do you wear? What's your outside? So I, I still have some stuff I got to shoot. Um, so I, I have a, actually I won uh, Arteryx top and bottom at a sniper competition. Expensive, yeah. the multicam one, yeah. which is like top of the line, Gore-Tex, waterproof, breathable, really nice set of what it got. I never liked wearing wet weather pants in the field. I just found them cumbersome and bulky. What I used to wear in Ireland was a long smock, went down to my knees, and then I wear gaiters up to my, the, below my knee with my boots. And that kept me, like we had really good gaiters we were issued with, I wish I could remember the name of them, but you could basically stand in, in a stream and not get wet. Like they went right over the outside of your boot, the big rubber yeah, I remember seal that. on them. So you could wear gaiters up to your knees and keep you, because a lot of the, the, the kind of, you know, knee deep gorse bushes and all that and you get soaked walking through them. So that would keep your feet dry in the bottom of your leg. And then the smock, I'd wear a, a windproof smock that would keep me fairly dry down to my knees because it's so long. And that's how I patrolled. Uh, I never liked wearing wet weather pants in the field. I, I, unless I'm in a patrol base and I'm going to be there for a long time, then I, I would... Uh, I would not walk with, with wet weather pants. And, and back then they weren't as good as they are now. Um, Did you guys wear wool at all? 
Uh, we did have some wall stuff, but you know, technology has come a long way since then. Um, we were very, very good at just functioning, like in, in probably in a similar way that that like troops in World War Two were like just good at functioning. Like the guys in Bastogne wore jump boots, like U.S. issued jump boots, which are horrible boots, man. I can't imagine them wear, wearing those on patrol in sub-zero temperatures, and there's no grip on them at all. I can't, uh, yeah. Um, but just just hard cases who just became very, very good. But I'm sure they have massive cold weather injuries in, in the Ardennes Forest and, and places like that. Another part that uh, I've always struggled with is gloves, right? Because... Yeah, I was just saying, we'll get to the gloves. Okay, we have to finish. Okay. We're going okay, chronologically yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, here. Yeah. Um, <laughs> way to make it awkward. Um, all right, so we're, we've, we've talked about the outside layer, but what, do you, what, what else would you recommend for outside... Um, I use I use five eleven tacticals um, 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 poly jacket. It's windproof. I had it on yesterday. I, I love took, those jackets. Yeah, yeah, super cool. Yeah. Um, and but I I think I have a couple wool wool coats. They're good at insulation. Mm. But I don't know if the the problem with wool is it's heavy. Yep. Um, so I don't know if I'd use that as an outside layer. I like the lightweight. Well, you don't want to get wet. You don't versions. Yeah. Mm. Um, but I heard they're good at wicking away water. Are they not? Um, well, they just get heavy. They get oh, yeah. wet and heavy. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I'm always like, weight is a huge thing, right? Well, I've seen military hospitals still use those old wool blankets that have yeah. been used since World War One. Yeah, yeah. Uh, hell, I think uh, the Civil War they've been probably <laughs> they've been used. Yeah. Um, so another thing that you could use for rain wear is is soft shells. Um, most feature, I mean, soft shells and and waterproof non breathable shells are two different kinds of shells. And you, we refer to these as puffy jackets. Mm -hmm. Like a puffy jacket that has a uh, light rain and wind protection are super cool. Because if yeah. it's not, if you're not running into sub-zero temperatures, they're lightweight. They fit inside of like a little nice little um, sack. Uh, and you could tuck them away, but you could actually save space with them because they compress down. Mm -hmm. um, and also doing the same thing with waterproof, non-breathable shells where you could roll it up and tuck it away and only pull it out when it's raining. You don't need, like, there's no need to wear this when you're out and about. Mm. Um, if you're wearing um, that base layer, um, it, like, let's say you're wearing uh, a lightweight version of the base layer and it gets warm, you could stuff it, and then whatever you're wearing, you could depend on it, which means you don't have to carry this big, bulky, you know, like even the 511 jacket's pretty big. Yeah, that's a great point. Like, at some point, you're going to have to take that thing off and put it away somewhere. And if you can't, if it doesn't roll up nice and small, and you can put it in a pouch or, or inside your ruck somewhere, then and it, it's almost worthless, right? Yeah. Because you end, end up stuffing it into the strap on the top of your ruck. And uh, yeah, so you need something that rolls up nice and small. But I love those puffy jackets. They're issued now in the military. But yeah. they're, they're great. They're a great morale booster in the field. I think my, it's so funny because we couldn't afford those back in the day. Yeah. Yeah, and we now bought we, a lot yeah. of our own gear back in the day. Yeah. We, we modified our packs. We, we did all the stuff that should have been done for us, but we, we had to buy our own equipment because yeah. uh, the, the stuff that was issued was garbage Yeah, in um, the 90s. Yeah, and this was adapting to Afghanistan. I mean, the best mm -hmm. thing we had was the Polar Tech jackets with these yeah. big black jackets um, that had Polar Tech uh, proprietary blend of like a Gore-Tex type material that would yeah. at least wick away that's moisture. That's a great example of something that's hard to put anywhere when you take it off. Yeah. It's a big, bulky, massive, bulky jacket. Yeah, massive, but it was cozy. It was, it was and nice. if you wore it, everybody knew you were cool. Cause you're yeah, like, oh, you're SF guy. Yeah, well, well the, the the thing back then is you couldn't wear a big jacket to because you'd be covering all of your insignia and all the yeah. stuff on your uniform. Yeah. 
But back then in Afghanistan, that's all we had. So you knew if you saw one of those guys, it was either a supply guy who stole, who stole <laughs> or it was a special yeah. operations guy. All right, let's talk about um, moving down. Let's talk about pants because um, pants, we just talked about the consideration where if you're wearing boots in a patrol base and, and security is priority, you, you can't take those things off. There's a whole bunch of different pants that we wear as civilians. What are your favorite pants that you wear? Cool pants. That's what I wear. Uh, they're rugged. They're durable. They're uh, light enough that uh, that that's I I have like ten pairs of freaking cool pants. And they're expensive, but but that that's my favorite pants right there. Uh, when I started contracting, uh, they started coming out at least at REI, mm -hmm. and I started wearing cool pants. And they're made for mountaineering type stuff because you know you could wear a lightweight pant. You could wear denim. Um, I don't recommend denim if you get wet. Mm. It's the like worst thing ever. The worst yeah, thing it ever. It shrinks. And they get heavy. Yeah, yeah. It's, it sucks. So cool pants are my favorite as well. The thicker versions of them are awesome because, I mean, I've had some that I've had dang near 10 years. Really? Uh, a long time. Yeah. I mean, I've had those since I started contracting, and I have tore those things up. And, and you know, they, they get developed little holes, um, but they still haven't blown out. Yeah. And I'll, I'll still wear them. Mm -hmm. um, another one that's more expensive is the uh, company called Fall Raven. And Fall Raven, or Foul Raven, um, is is that f Swedish, Sweden? Probably. Or Norway? Yeah, one of those. Yeah, or yeah. Germany, it's one of those. <laughs> you could get them overseas, uh, and, but there's a couple of distributors in America, and Fall Raven's awesome because they're made, I mean, all the special operations guys, like the Norwegians, or, were wearing them. I know the Navy, is Special Operations Command has, has issued some of them, but they're super durable, made for, um, taking a knee, made for laying in the prone, mm -hmm. made for survival and bushcraft, that kind of stuff, outdoor living, um, so they'll last you. So wearing that and then putting on a lightweight um, Patagonia synthetic wickaway type deal uh, is how I roll. I'll wear a boxer brief that's uh, wick wickaway, like Under Armour, my mm -hmm. favorite. And then I'll have the lightweight polypro pants made by Patagonia. And then I'll wear the cool... But if you're wearing that, it's cold. Because if you start moving and you're wearing those layers, it, good luck. Mm -hmm. you, my favorite thing to do is if I'm moving, then I'm not wearing any kind of um, base layer. No, you, you don't need that. You'll get that when you get to where you're going, when yeah. you stopped. Mm -hmm. uh, and that will be one of the priorities work. I keep that in a Ziploc on top of my ruck to mm -hmm. be able to access. Um, what, about, what about shoes and socks? So there, there's some great socks now. Um, the smart wall socks and stuff like that, they, they're fantastic. And uh, like civilian hiking boots. Um, are, I, I think I still have the boots that I was issued with in Ireland when I was in, in SF in Ireland. And they're like Mendel, Mendel, I think, make them a German company, I think. And uh, You still have those? I think so, yeah. Oh. I haven't worn them in a while, but I, I'll dig them out. Um, I'll dig them out for the winter resilience course. Um <laughs> But uh, yeah, you know, we, 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 you were in Ranger School, you probably had jungle boots on and it went over the I did. <laughs> yeah. I did. Which is insane. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Super comfortable, not made for the winter. Um, that, but those civilian hiking boots that are made for that environment are, are the best thing. You, you can, still wear Merrells, right? You, I do. I wear a lot of Merrells. Yeah. yeah. So I'm a big Solomon fan. You know, I remember our first issue, we were in B23 at the mm -hmm. time, um, and they gave us the credit card to go get. Uh, solo boots mm -hmm. and everybody loved them well they loved them because they were 375 dollars they're something yeah, insane they're yeah, 200 something yeah. uh, almost 300 dollars and i remember like asking the guys like dude this is 
these boots are super uncomfortable. They're yeah. stiff because they're made for mountaineering, like going straight yes. up a mountain. Yeah, not suited for urban warfare, that, yeah. which is what we needed them for. And and those Merrells and those soft, you know, civilian hiking boots were great for that environment, for climbing buildings and 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 moving across rooftops and and working in an urban environment. They were they were fantastic. Uh, you can't get two SF guys to agree on a pair of boots. Like it's just yeah. impossible. I was wearing uh, uh, Nike tennis shoes. Mm-hmm. That, I remember, yeah, yeah, the mm-hmm. Nike ones because we were hitting houses that had, I mean, we were leaving the vehicle, walking into the house and they had marble floors. Yeah. Like they, these were yeah. weird, weird target sets. We had those GSG-9 boots in Ireland when yeah. I was in, in SF in Ireland and those things have no grips. So try to get on the wing of an airplane during an assault Ooh. with those things. Dude, you will, I saw a guy slip and like launch like 10 feet <sighs> off the side of the band. Those wings are up high. Yeah. Uh, super slippy, like no grips whatsoever. But back in the day, they were like the shit. Yeah. You know, GSG-9 boots. That's when we thought waffle soles and these these, yeah. these special soles from, yeah. from Vibrant were the way to go. Mm-hmm. I think I remember that the changing point for me was uh, I deployed with um, with uh, uh, JSOC at the time in 2010 to Afghanistan, and they gave us our issued boot options at from CIF were a Nike boot, which was mm-hmm. a decent boot, but it, it had no ankle support, and a um, um, or we could take a Solomon, mm-hmm. and so we had both of them, but I, we could deploy and wear whatever we wanted. But I took the Solomons. And so I was issued those, I, I sold those Solomons online for like 250 bucks. Yeah. I should have never sold those. Yeah. But they were orange, um, above the ankle, um, Solomon mountaineering boots. But they were super good in Afghanistan, that environment. But they were awesome all around boots and they had the flexibility. Mm-hmm. Right? That's, the, that's the main thing that I, I, I want in a boot is, if I'm doing a lot of traversing, if I'm, lot, if I'm doing a lot of flat terrain mixed with high terrain, I want to wear a boot that's flexible enough to not uh, cause stiffness in my mm-hmm. foot and fatigue it. Um, but you need ankle support, especially on, on rough terrain. But you terrain, need, like, you have yeah, to have yeah, it. Yeah, I, I'm very picky about boots, and the reason I wear a lot of Merrells is because I have severe plantar fasciitis on both feet from running too much. I used to run eight miles a day, seven days a week, like a lunatic, and it's so bad for you. But I used to be addicted to running, and I got really bad injuries on the bottom of my feet, so I'm super picky because most boots hurt my feet. But Merrells don't hurt my feet for some reason. Yeah, if they're not they're perfectly, soft. F- yeah, soft. If they're not perfectly fitted, then they they tear me up, and I'll be in pain all day. So that's why I I found a pair of boots I like, and I just stuck with it. Yeah, a lot of people forget too is if you wear low ankle boots, um, and you're going in any type of terrain, mm-hmm. like even if it's just weeds, yeah, all that debris from the uh, foliage is going to get inside your ankle Super and on your annoying. sock, it's annoying it as is, hell. Trying is. to pull anything out of a, a smart wool sock that has that is really blended mm. is very difficult to do. So I recommend if you're going outdoors doing anything uh, and it's not a dedicated trail running shoe or a, cro- a cross trainer, go with above the ankle support. Mm-hmm. That's super important. All right, so oh, oh, lastly, um, don't forget about the gaiters because you guys wore ga- I wore gaiters in West Virginia selection and destroyed them. Did somebody tell you to wear them? Somebody said. Somebody said. said yeah. Well, it said on the packing list that gaiters. Gorse, that low gorse will just tear Dude, your feet destroy yeah. them. Mm-hmm. I, I, the coolest thing about RAI back in the day was they had this warranty. Or you can go use whatever you had. Mm-hmm. You take and them back, look like, dude, a, look like a, a tiger attacked them. <laughs> they were destroyed, and they gave me a new pair. That's I was awesome. like, oh, my Where God. Uh, I still got them. Yeah. I, 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 so I think Europeans have been wearing gators for a long time. Forever. We, ne- we never got issued gators in the U.S. military. 
Um, I don't like the ones. I, I well, I don't mind them, but you have the ones that hook into your lace, and then they they tie on the side or zip on the side on the inside of your leg. Yeah, they're they're very very uh, common. The, the ones like I said earlier, we had went around your boot around the bottom of your boot and completely sealed your whole boot and your whole foot from water, which are really cool. I wish I could remember who made them. Um, but yeah, if you hadn't had those, you probably would have tore your legs up, huh? Oh, I would have destroyed them. Mm -hmm. I would have destroyed, especially the, because, you know, you we were wearing a military uniform and pants. And I think about that in civilian life. If you're going off the beaten path, and it, Americans don't think about gators. Mm. I mean, when they said gators, I was like, what's a gator? Yeah. You don't even think about that. But it, mm -hmm. having, I have now, I have a pair of Arcteryx that are just baller. Um, but I take them and pack them out everywhere I go if I'm doing any kind of uh, off road hiking. Because I saw the advantage of how much that would have translated to my boots, uh, mm. destroying my laces Didn't and my they, pants. They weren't gators, but like in World War One, they had those things from the knee down, like like uh, like wraps on their on their legs. Remember those things? They were like gators to protect the bottom yeah. of their leg. Do you remember those uniforms? Yeah, yeah, had, I like, do remember really that. Tight, like, yeah, I, I, not gators, but yeah, um, but the same purpose, right? Yeah, I guess so. I guess so. Yeah. All right, gloves. Gloves. <laughs> remember the old wool gloves we got, and then we got the leather liners went over the top of them and they get wet and they shrink and they're like you can hardly manipulate your hands the, the, the problem with gloves are for military is, is dexterity right you have to be able to manipulate your weapon and your radio and your night vision and all those things we issued socom issued a big massive suite of gloves to sf guys and nobody ever wore them they had yes. different layers a whole bag of gloves that cost a lot of money and most people just wear a shooter glove because they can they can run uh, their weapon, they can run their equipment, and they have a layer of something on them. Now, they're probably not using it in extreme cold weather, but uh, they have the gloves, the mittens, where the trigger finger comes out and their whole, all the fingers come out, and then they have the really, really heavy ones that uh, nobody wore because, you know, if you're in... in combat or in, in a hostile environment you have to be able to, to use your weapon so i i think they're relooking that whole suite of gloves right now because nobody's wearing them um have you seen the thing that i know tier make it tier tactical they have a like a thing that goes around your waist that you put your hands in both sides and keeps your hands like wool in there or like fur in there. Yeah, they yeah, keep yeah. Your hands those warm. are those are QB quarterback warmers. Oh, is that what they are? Yeah, yeah. Oh, That's what okay. quarterbacks use in football. But they have, oh. I. It's crazy. I I've, I've never really used those because we have to have them. But I know them from football. Yeah. Because uh, I, I grew up playing football and we used them for wintertime. But um, when I was vetting for contracting, I I I got those because it was so cold. So me, remember uh, D Nun Dan. Mm -hmm. uh, we went to Walmart and bought them, and then everybody started buying them. So the whole class yeah. um, was wearing them because we, you know, you're shooting a shooting eval, yeah. and you got to keep your hands warm. Yeah. So then, right before they say, you know, shoot already, yeah. we take our hands out, out, put them on the gun, yeah. and then and if go. You, if you put those hand warmers inside them too, yeah, they really work well. Yeah. Yeah. So mm -hmm. so it's gloves are weird because, like you said, you know, we've had different versions of them, and. <laughs> Our first gloves were like Nomex. Yeah. You know, because yeah. the big threat was fire. It was like fire yes. mitigation. Everything had to be Nomex. Yeah. yeah. And they it, were tankers' gloves. It's what tankers yeah. wore, you know? And they were horrible for holding guns. Oh, they're terrible. They're slippy as hell. Or doing anything. Remember the ones that, the short ones with the, with the, the plastic knuckle on them that we wore in combat? Yeah. Who, who made those? Wiley X? Or? Yeah. Wiley X made the, mm -hmm. the tactical version of yeah. them. Yeah. And then um, I wore City, or, which is the uh, motorcycle version yeah. of them. Yeah. 
um, but they were all leather. Mine were all leather. They, when I was in, when I was working at sniper school, Sephardic, uh, a student had they'd put a charge on a door. And you remember this used to happen quite a bit. They'd, they'd hit multiple breaches at multiple times and they all put charges on the door. And then somebody would throw a flashbang. And while the guy is waiting for the three and a half second delay for his charge to go off, a flashbang would go off and he'd think that was the breach. And he'd round at the corner, reach for the doorknob and the charge went off. And oh the only thing that saved his hand from getting cut in half was the, the, the plastic knuckle on those gloves. He reached for the, for the glove, like if you imagine the, the doorknobs on the left side of the door, he reached for the doorknob and the charge went off. And they said the only thing that saved his hand was that, that, that hardened knuckle. Really? On, yeah, yeah, it's Ooh, crazy, right? That's um, insane. Those, those hardened knuckles were really good for like punching people and stuff. <laughs> yeah, we did, we did that often. I mean, when, when I think about the application of that in just a, a, a rural type environment, um, I do want a glove like like people like I got good pair of work gloves and they're made out of different stuff like I mean there's all kinds of different versions of them elk bison leather it goes the list goes on but I want a more practical tactical glove that I could use with my hands mm. now one thing that we weren't this is this is silly we were using mechanics gloves and mechanics gloves were used for um, or they're still used they're used for doing mechanic work. But they're horrible gloves. Like they're they're made. I don't know what material they're made out of, but I use them as a mechanic. And if you get oil or any kind of material on them, or if you get them wet, they stay wet. Mm. So when I was using those, I would tell people like, "Hey, man, you know those mechanic gloves that you pay twenty bucks for at AutoZone? They're not good tactical gloves in in, in uh, rural like austere environments. Um, the best glove that I've seen is those. Uh, they're called the 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 pig." Pig something. Mm. Oh, God, I, I can't. I, maybe I can look it up while, while we're talking about gloves. Yeah, the, 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 that's a common theme, what, what you just said there about equipment getting wet. You're going to get wet. So you need, and that, that first gray thing that we got that uh, Arcteryx or Patagonia made for us, but that, that was kind of the concept was you're going to get wet. So you need equipment that will it'll wick away moisture. It'll keep you, uh, it's going to get wet, but it will dry very, very quickly. And that that's a, that's a, that's a common theme in, uh, especially in the jungle. You're going to get soaked in the jungle, but you want you want clothing that will will uh, will dry very very quickly. You, yeah. find, you find them? Yeah, this is a, a free plug for this company because I think out of all the gloves I've worn, this is one of the best gloves that I've actually owned, and I still I still have them. I have multiple sets of them, but it's called the Pig FDT Alpha, and they're uh, alpha, they're they're noted as being Alpha Touch gloves or a consumer product that would provide the user with the best tech, tactile dexterity. Um, but also uh, be able to be, um, should be worn to destruction in this card and replace. Um, but they're, they're known as a utility glove. A great, great glove, great company. I used them even for short duration ropes, like if we were fast roping out of a, mm. a helicopter. Because I always thought the com most comical thing on the planet was we didn't have any options. But if you're doing a 90 foot fast rope, you'd have to use rope gloves. Yeah. So then we have them de rung and we would mm -hmm. wear them and then rope to the ground and then remove them yeah. and then put your hands on the gun, mm -hmm. which is crazy. Yeah, you wouldn't be able to shoot with those big heavy rope gloves yeah. on. Yeah. yeah. We yeah. used to use two, like if you're 90 foot ropes, which is a long way down, oh, gosh. you'd wear two sets of gloves. You'd wear the roping gloves and you'd wear your Rip tactical gloves underneath and then yeah. you'd, you'd, you'd jack them off. And then, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> um, you would jack them used, off. You, I would okay, just take Okay, move on, off. Mike. You can let one go. 
Uh, they, they, we used to shoot with our gloves on. We used to do a lot of stuff with our tactical gloves because yeah. we wore them in combat because um, just touching dirty fuckers and rolling yeah. up prisoners and stuff like that. Ugh, every I, time, I every op that I decided not to wear gloves because I hated wearing gloves. Yeah. Every op that I did that I didn't wear gloves, I cut my hands. Yeah. On glass, yeah. Splinters on splinters. And, yeah. And, mm -hmm. and, I saw the benefit of gloves, but I hate yeah, doing stuff yeah. with gloves. And on. you really do have to train yourself with to do everything with your gloves on. Yeah. Um, but cold weather gloves, uh, you're not getting cold weather gloves that are good tactical gloves that you yeah. keep your hands warm. It just doesn't exist, right? It doesn't. It doesn't. Um, you got the big heavy mittens or maybe that, that quarterback thing where you're keeping your hands warm when you don't need them and, and you're utilizing your equipment when you do. I, th I think that quarterback thing for, for rural environments is, is actually really beneficial. Great for hunters. Yeah. Hunters, yeah. Because we're yeah. hanging out and then you have to, yeah. you're going to the bow or doing whatever mm -hmm. you're doing. If you want the best combination, it acts as the glove, but doesn't restrict you because you don't have to have gloves on. Yeah, and you can so pull you, your hands out or, really quickly. Yeah. Or mm -hmm. you can have a light, more tech, uh, a tactile glove and then put them in there, keep them warm, and then take them out and then go to work. Mm -hmm. I think that combo is probably the best. Yeah. What about headgear? Let's talk about headgear. Headgear. So beanie cap, man. Yeah. Beanie's money. You, um, you just had that funny little moment where like, you came out and you looked like a member of uh, Delta Force in the 80s. I know. I've worn a beanie cap like that, like yeah. rolled up above my ears since, yeah. since I was a kid. Versus guys who wear them uh, over the ears, mm -hmm. which is common. But why, why, would you, why do you do that? Is it because, it, I mean, there's a military application, I'm assuming, for that. It looks like, ear protection. It looks cooler. It does look cool. <laughs> Dude, it looks bad. <laughs> I don't like stuff pulled down over my ears. I, I, maybe it's just I'm used to it. But, mm. yeah, it's like the old commando, you know, World War II raid in Norway or something with the old commando units. Um, I, I don't like, I never wore it down over my ears, even in the cold when I was stationed in Germany, but, um, I, I just like it. I, and yeah, you, you can, uh, well, what's the, what material are you using? Are you using just an old army beanie? Um, there's, there's actually the army field manual says 40, it claims 40 to 45% of the body heat is lost to the head, but it's not true, according to the British medical journal. I've heard that debunked recently. Yeah. We, it, we were always told that you have to you know stop the heat or lo you lose most of the heat through your head i remember being told that in schools but I, I heard it be debunked recently actually for the first time yeah so the it's actually a common thing when you look it up it, it, the head only represents about 10 percent of the body's total surface area so if the head were to even lose 75 percent of the body's heat it, that means that you would have to lose about 40 times as much heat per square inch as every other part of your body. Hmm. So it's it's not a consideration. It's a comfort for, thing, right? Because especially thing. sleeping, when your head's out of the sleeping bag and you don't have a beanie on, it, it, it sucks. Yeah, so th there's actually scientists who did a study on this where they, they looked at it and the trace origins of the hat advice came from the U.S. Army Survival Manual in the 1970s. Somebody just made it up. Oh, they did. Some dude's like, <laughs> that you happens. know what? That we'll just happens. put this down. So yeah. he said he, they said it in the manual, 40 to 45%. And then uh, doctors from, um, or scientists from the, uh, the uh, Indiana University in, in Indianapolis um, claim in the British Medical Journal this week, if it, this were true, they say humans would just be as cold um, as cold if they were without a hat as if they went without trousers because of the surface yeah, area. Yeah. Um, patently, this is just not the case. So the myth is thought to have arisen uh, with a flawed interpretation of vaguely scientific experiment by the U.S. military in the 50s. Can you imagine the Army doing a scientific experiment? Oh, I've seen it. 
Yeah, yeah, it. yeah. The, the army very, is a scientific experiment. It is like, and and you know, I worked in an organization that tested equipment. There's there's a science to testing equipment. You have to isolate all the variables, right? You can't test two things at once. You can't test size and weight or whatever. You have to test one function at a time and isolate all the other variables to truly test that. But I, I'll be honest, I can make a test come out any way you tell me to, really, um, because there's so much. Uh, inputs and variables that that you know depends how it's like a pole right it, it's almost very it's very subjective when we test rucksacks for example and we do this with anything we can in socom we take all the tags off them because people fall in love with a certain type of rucksack sf guys yeah they go oh i want tier tactical or i want freaking mystery ranch or we take all the all the labels off them and the, the company have to submit with no labels so you get a completely subjective test where guys are testing functionality and capability and not brand name because yeah. that yeah i wonder if cry gets away with that because cry is branding's in like their mold yeah like the, that cage chassis true. that yeah. i wore in yeah. jsoc yeah we only wore it for, I think, maybe not even a year. Yeah. Every they, time I, I briefed the senior leader course in SF, everybody's like, why don't we have cry uniforms? Here's why. Two reasons. Number one, not very compliant. So illegal to buy them and big numbers for the military. And two, they didn't compete. When we put out a, a solicitation for yeah. a new uniform, and that's probably on purpose, they didn't right? compete. Because yeah. be, they have to change their whole business. Yeah, pack. yeah. Um, and they don't need to. I mean, they're, making, they're crushing yeah. it. Um, but also... Um, the answer to that is about seven to ten percent. According, it's okay. seven, your head represents. See, my head. I'm in the ten percent bracket because my head is massive. Twenty five percent. My head represents uh, nearly a third of my body, <laughs> um, but it's seven to ten percent based on surface area of people's. That makes sense. Heads. Yeah, that makes um, sense. But it is a comfort thing, right? Uh, uh, seven to ten percent is still a lot. We it is. Old. Yeah. It is. And, and w one thing to note, I mean, your ears, which are exposed. Look, your head isn't isn't your body. Your body's covered in clothing and layers, mm -hmm. so your head is exposed, just like your hands are. So it's important, like you said in that, um, um, uh, what you're talking about about the extremities being exposed and it's circulating cold blood. Yeah. That's the same exact yeah. idea. Mm -hmm. you, you need to keep your head warm. So yeah. putting something on your head, on your face, even in cold weather, mm. is important. Let's let's kind of transition into um, some tactics that you could use um, for exposure to become a hypotherm hypothermic or somebody experiencing hypothermia. One, let's talk about uh, the signs and symptoms of hypothermia. What, just off the top of your head, not the medical version of this, but what do you think they are? You've experienced them. Lo loss of cognition is a huge one. Like guys who, who start, I've seen them all, they start uh, rambling, uh, incoherent nonsense, right? Um, they get very passive, very... Uh, like the, I've seen guys be like, hey, I'm just going to sit down here and, and, and take a little nap. And I'll yeah. be like, get your ass up. We're on patrol, you know? And yeah. they'll be like, nah, I'm just going to lay down here and curl up at a ball. That guy's going to die very, very quickly if he's not. So we, I remember doing a class. It's funny how you remember certain things. But I remember doing a class in, in Ireland on hypothermia. And the, the guy was like, what do you do first? What do you do first when somebody's hypothermic? And it was like, you stop, 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 right? You stop the patrol. You get them into warm clothing, get a fire going, get hot liquids inside them. So what you don't do is make them do fucking flutter kicks and push-ups up and down the mountain because he's been a shitbag because you're circulating all that cold blood in his extremities and you're fucking crashing that core so running him up the mountain is not a fix you think oh and i'm sure we've done this you know by you know you make the guy do uh 
jumping jacks to, to warm him up. You're circulating all that blood so much faster. He's already cold. You're pulling all that cold blood from the extremities into the core and you're crashing the Ooh, core. I never thought about that. Very, very quickly. They say, well, you can do it in certain... If a guy is... Uh, if he is... Um, he or she, if they get cold very, very quickly, you can warm them very quickly. Yeah, yeah. If they fall in a lake That's different with than ice, hypothermia. Yeah, if yeah. they fall in the lake with ice, you can get them doing jumping jacks, get a fire, get get, yeah. get their clothes changed. But if they co get cold over a period of time and their extremities are cold, then force, uh, forced exercise and force pumping that blood is the, like the worst thing you can do. You gotta yeah. stop, you gotta get hot liquids into them, get a fire going, get layers. Um, warm their body slowly as opposed to, to doing it quickly and get and, and crashing that core system yeah the the like you just lined out the biggest uh symptom of hypothermia has to do with cognition which includes clumsiness slurred speech confusion mm -hmm. uh even drowsiness um lack of concern about the self yes like, yeah. that's a big one yeah like yeah. i don't care like it doesn't matter yeah. nothing matters yeah you, you see this uh historically with uh um these mount everest yeah. Um, yeah. trips uh, to the summit mm -hmm. uh, where people just quit on themselves and yeah. then people get bypassed and that person is mm -hmm. not going to pull themselves out of it. No. Uh, if they're too far gone because it's a severe case of hypothermia, they're going to have a weak pulse, they're going to have shallow breathing, uh, and then they're just going to go to sleep and never wake up. Yeah. That's the tragedy in it. Yeah, it's so, very, it's very uh, evident in the military where you know people follow orders but like in a, in a school or, or like a mountaineering school or ranger school or something like that where a guy is not doing what he's told or she is told, then it's a very, uh, it's, a, it's a huge indicator that something is wrong. Those guys follow orders because they want to pass the school, right? Yeah. But if they get to the point where, nah, nah, I'm just going to take a nap. And it's like, get your ass up and start moving. Nah, I'm just going to take a nap here. That's a huge red flag. Yeah, you have to be able to identify those signs and symptoms mm. in a position of leadership, yeah. or is, even as a defender or uh, the leader of your family and friends. Mm -hmm. um, most of these uh, things take place, like even the summit to Everest is a, a good example, where everybody's kind of on their own, and they don't really care about the well-being of others. Well, if you're with family and friends, you should be monitoring this and making sure you pay attention. Yeah. Because the quiet person who's typically not quiet um, you need to be able to figure out what's wrong with them. So one thing we always recommend from uh, a kind of a company perspective that we used to do in, in uh, the military is have the ability to make a fire. You know, mm -hmm. it's not, but a lot, look, if you have the, that's what I think the benefit of mobility is. If you have the ability to make a fire um, because you have a lighter on your person, well, the upgrade of that is your mobility platform. You should be able to make a literal fire, a bonfire. Mm. Um, in my truck, I carry logs or cords of wood because I'm not just look. If I'm if I'm experiencing hypothermia, or or I'm trying to get warm, um, I might not have the access to the fuel to make a fire. So I'm going to have a couple cords. I'm going to have uh, the tinder already mapped out. I'm going to have the the cotton ball and Vaseline, and I'm going to have the the fire starter. Uh, which isn't a fire starter like a, a, a ferro rod. It's a lighter, uh, maybe even a torch lighter. So you need to make sure you have the ability to make a fire on person, especially given the fact that you might be in a, a severe uh, uh, situation with no mobility, Rick. Like if you see uh, people who work near water, uh, especially in these wildland areas uh, like Alaska and, and cold weather, um, they have the ability not only to start the fire, but they have the ability to, to start the flame that means tinder bundles because that is going to save their life. Like if they fall in water, 
their next battle drill is getting out of that and starting a fire rapidly to, to get their uh, body temperature up. Yeah, I remember in selection in Ireland, we, we uh, crossed the lake. We had to break the ice to get into the lake with a poncho raft. And then as soon as we got, like, severely cold, we got out the other side, big fire, change your clothes, get, and you're fine, right? You're fine as long as you do that. But I can't imagine. I think people take lighting a fire for granted that they think, I, I could light a fire easily. And even with a lighter, some people can't light a fire. They just don't understand yeah. the basic steps of... Uh, you know, increasing size, like starting with something really, really small, smaller than you actually think, and then building on it and building on it and build, to try to go straight to the, to the shortcut, right? <laughs> of putting a lighter against a piece of wood, right? Um, we've seen it. And yeah. uh, I, I think it's something people don't understand that it can be tricky if you don't know the steps. It's one of those basic skill sets you have to practice. You yeah. have to get out and practice. Yeah, yeah. Getting pine needles, pine needles is not gonna set on fire. Mm -hmm. You need a tender bundle, it needs to look like a nest. You need to insert the a rod there's technique to there all is. this stuff but most of that technique is learned through experience and we encourage you guys to learn to learn that yeah. if i was going back country hunting like we're about to go with eastman's elevated on an elk hunt i would recommend all of you thinking about these things and making sure that you follow that the, the proper uh, practice and protocol and then get out there and experience it. Yeah. Uh, that means having the stuff on your person, but also having it in your rucksack. If you're driving, driving an off-road vehicle, having it in your off-road vehicle. Um, another one is that I've become fond of because of the utility and all the, the dual purpose of utility is the Mylar space blanket. Mm -hmm. Did you ever carry a Mylar space blanket in the military? We did. Yeah, we did. We had, uh, there were a camo on one side and, and uh, orange on the other. Remember them? We used to have them. Um, really? Yeah. You didn't have one? I don't think so. I don't remember seeing them a lot. Mm. Well, I, one, I never understood the... I never... I don't remember them because I don't remember seeing the dual benefit, mm. especially for Signal. Yeah. Like the ones we sell uh, at fieldcraftsurvival.com in our survival kits and separately um, have fluorescent orange, like a VS-17, and then have um, reflective material on the other side. So you yeah. can reflect, hit an aircraft or signal an overhead, whatever, mm -hmm. Um, and then you could signal um, day or, or um, I was going to say day or night, but during the daytime. Um, but also it keeps you warm. Mm -hmm. I mean, mylar is, can reflect heat. It, defl it deflects heat. So if you have a small fire and you want to increase the, that fire, instead of all the heat displacing uh, all around it because it's an open environment, you put it on one side and you could be on the other side of that and deflect all that heat into you. That's, yeah, I remember I did a... I did a uh, mounted leaders course, a civilian mounted leader course in Ireland. When I was in SF, a bunch of us went up and did it. It's actually in Northern Ireland. But um, at one point we were out hiking and land naving and the, it was pouring rain, it was cold, it was just horrible. And the, the guy who was instructing us had us all sit down in a circle. I think there was five of us. And then he pulled out a big, huge... Uh, version of a mylar space blanket and he put it over the top of everybody and then we all tucked it underneath our ass right so you have five people underneath this cover that reflects heat and you've all that body heat coming off it and instantly it got really warm in there really toasty really comfortable and uh, it, it was actually pretty cool so that's that's the first time i'd seen that um but yeah i think we had them in our kit if i remember prop properly but you know even in sf we're not we're, we're not we were not as serious about survival and escaping evasion as we probably should have been right i was issued yeah. i was issued a survival kit uh, in cag and i was surprised at like what it was yeah yeah like, the the it had fishing line in it. Mm -hmm. and i'm like well that's not gonna work in 
the middle of Iraq. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, so we don't do survival well at the highest tiered units in the military. Yeah, I mean, it's I, just I think not done it's, it's just not a priority, right? It gives yeah. so many things to be really good at. It just kept kept getting pushed down and down and down. And, and uh, you know, we all went to survival school and we learned all that stuff. But uh, it's all uh, Mickey Mouse shit because it's it's never a priority if it's not happening often. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and I think it's it's. Um, Part of it was you don't get guys separated on target much on S- NSF. You don't get guys separate because we never go anywhere by ourselves, you know. Um, there are units who do small, you know, do other stuff where very, very small units that would be more susceptible. But uh, we, we just never took it. It never took the, the, the priority it should have. Yeah, the British SAS learned that the hard way, right? Yeah. On, um, early on in the war, in the Gulf War. Um, and so did we. We almost had that catastrophic situation where um, we, we could have separated an entire special forces detachment mm-hmm. that wanted up saving their own. And the aircraft, luckily, was in the vicinity to bail them out. Yeah. But that would have been a big evasion situation. Mm-hmm. I even think about Benghazi. If not for those guys who responded to Benghazi and did everything they did, you're looking at a massive... Um, escape and evasion circumstance where they're in the middle of nowhere trying mm-hmm. to bug out and save them save themselves but you know in the context of like what a civilian deals with you're in the middle of nowhere you have to be able to think about survival um and and mylar which is conveniently small and fits in a kit well which is even in our survival kit are the things that you need to think about but elevate you know like people say oh mike what should i get for you know uh, to stay warm well in an emergency it's a it's a uh, mylar space blanket but that's a an emergency like you should be carrying a bivy sack a sleeping bag a a, a, a sub-zero sleeping bag mm-hmm. because that's your go-to the mylar is just convenient for the emergency mm-hmm. i mean i would use mylar more likely to deflect if i had my bag lined out my ruck lined out you know the fire lined out i would use that advantageously to upgrade my situation let's talk about resilience um, we, we, we did a resilience course this week, um, and it, I, I thought it went well. It was it successful. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But when you started looking at resilience and how you wanted to line that out, what, what, what came to mind? So I, I think we talked about it a couple of months ago, and we're like, hey, let's do a, a course at a high enough price point that we can bring in like heavy hitter guys like Doc and, and, and uh, Dan and, and James, and let's do a little bit of everything, exposure to, to a little bit of everything. So we did a little bit of shooting. We did uh, survival. We did a lot of medical training. Uh, but we had guys like Dan who um, and Pete. Pete Pete's a, a special forces officer and a medical doctor. And we had Dan who's a enlisted Ranger Regiment guy, a West Point officer, special forces officer. Um, he, he owns a whole... He owns a bunch of businesses now, I think, but but super smart guy. And we had them teach planning, teach resilience, teach mindset. And it was more about physical skills. And um, or it wasn't so much about, there was a lot of physical skills, but there was a lot of mental skills too and, on resilience and stuff like that. So uh, huge success. The next one's coming up in uh, December and it's got a winter theme where... Um, we're we're gonna do like winter survival type stuff, but but much a lot of the same types of of classes. So I think it's a good sustain for us. Uh, the AAR we did at the end, very good feedback. 
Uh, people loved it. We'd a, we didn't put out the schedule, a detailed schedule. We give basic subjects and we, we kind of surprise them every day. And I think we did some stuff that they weren't expecting. Um, but overall mindset, combat mindset, resilience. Um, yeah, it was huge success. Yeah, resilience to me means increasing your capacity to deal with stress. Because mm -hmm. if, you're, if you're trained, if you're skilled, if you understand mindset, you don't necessarily have to abuse yourself to become more resilient. If you increase your confidence because you understand uh, um, more technical um, skill sets and you're educated, then you're more likely to succeed. Because, look, resilience has to do with what you do when you're broken down. And a, a lot of the lack of being resilient comes from not having a good foundation in the first place. So foundationally, we want to increase your capacity, um, which means build upon your base, um, give you understanding of like, kind of like combat or warrior mindset where mm -hmm. we come from, uh, which there was a lot of good classes done by Dan, Doc, and James on that. And then give you those individual skill sets that are going to set you up for success that make you uh, less likely to die, more likely to live. Yeah, Doc calls it your stress cup, right? How big is your stress cup? Some people's stress cup is like the size of thimble. But as you gain skills and you gain um, confidence, your, your ability, your, the amount of stress that you can take gets bigger and bigger, right? So as you gain these skills and you gain medical skills and survival skills and um, land navigation and shooting and, and, you know, we did scenario stuff, we did gun for medicine, we did a bunch of stuff, your, your, your ability to, to absorb stress and your stress cups gets bigger and bigger and bigger. So a uh, highly recommended course. It, it is uh, it's at a higher price point, but if you flew in individually, to try and take all these courses uh, individually it would cost you a lot more and it's almost one-on-one -on -one instruction i think we had eight or nine instructors there for 13 students and the next one's 12 students so um yeah highly recommend it we will push you a little bit uh but we're not gonna keep you out in the woods for the whole week because we're throwing a lot of information it's a fire hose of information we want you to be able to absorb that so most of the time you'll be well fed you'll be well rested and um yeah, you learn a lot. You walk away after a one-week course with, with a lot of skills. Yeah, I, I had a good time, too. I mean, mm -hmm. I, I think all the instructors learned a lot from the experience and just teaching. Yeah. I mean, we all those courses we've taught hundreds of times, mm -hmm. um, but to see the impact it makes on people who don't have a lot of foundational experience and then how far they come through that experience is pretty cool. Yeah, we we, um, we had a great bunch. We had a great bunch of people, super motivated, very willing to learn. Um, I, I think one of the things you did was the scenario stuff. I think we expand that. People find that very, very beneficial where we put them in different scenarios where they draw, got to draw a firearm and defend themselves in a shoot-no-shoot no shoot scenario. And uh, not enough people war game that stuff and, and run it through their head to, to understand when you cross that line and, and you pull a handgun. So I think you had a group in the morning, half the class and a group in the afternoon and it, there was completely different outcomes from both groups, right? Yeah, I think completely separate. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, uh, one guy, some guys like uh, went to the gun a little faster than the others. <laughs> yeah, there was, a, there was a lot of, it almost it took on like uh, their own psychology and their own ideas based on the assembly of the groups. Did you brief anything different for the second group that kind of geared them towards the reactions they had? Uh, no, no, I think it was, this, it was the same in brief. I, I, I did 
pull a lot of lessons learned in the first group. Right. Um, but what I realized in, in talking through the first scenario is people's backgrounds, even where they're from, specifically mm. in the States, determine um, very much so how they're going to react to stress. How so? Well, the more rural people, the guys from like Wyoming and everything else, were more proactive in responding to things versus um, guys from other parts, like even, even Jeff from San Francisco was a little bit more risk. I wouldn't say adverse. He wanted to mitigate risk more. And so he wasn't more likely to get into some stuff. Did, did, did they try to take an avoidance rather than confronting the risk? Because I was on the other side. I, I didn't see this stuff. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, mm -hmm. like for example, the first uh, one we had where the guy was using a cell phone as a, as a target, um, pulling the pulling the uh, the cell phone thinking it's a gun as a scenario, which is a spoiler alert, but that's common to what law enforcement mm -hmm. officers uh, are confronted with. And when you see that kind of interaction, um, and then how much time you don't have, it, it gives you appreciation for the process, but it teaches you a lot about how you need to think about these kind of circumstances where mitigating risk is, is more important um, like circumventing the, the guy with hiding his hands so you could see his hands versus standing firmly where you're at because you're just stuck in your head and then you, you go to shoot and you sh it's, a, it's a bad shoot. It's mm -hmm. a person who has a cell phone, not a gun. Um, people who are more from rural environments or kind of like, salt, I, I don't know how to put this, like maybe salt of the earth kind of people who, who just are used to outdoor living. Yeah. Um, are likely to stand their ground, right? Versus somebody like Jeff in that circumstance ran around and saw the hands and identified it was a cell phone and then immediately deconflicted. But he took down his guard so much. Yeah. He went from 70 miles an hour to zero and and then ran the risk of being shot in the back because mm -hmm. he just he completely checked out, like, oh, it's just a cell phone. Well, that's not all. I mean, if it's a cell phone, he might have something else in his pants. Mm. Um, so it, it was fascinating to see the both sides of that. Cool. Yeah. So, yeah, the next one, we're going to change it up a little bit. We're going to uh, do a little more horse packing. We're going to pack out some horses and, and, and kind of bring the group up into the hills a little bit with, with horses as a bug out um, scenario, as a bug out vehicle. And I, I think it'll be super interesting, but it'll be cold. Yeah, I'm excited for it, man. Chaos doesn't care if it's cold outside. I know, right? That's um, a t-shirt. That is a t-shirt. It is. Next t-shirt. You just made it. <laughs> All right, man. It's a good podcast. Cool, man. You got anything else? No. PhilCraftSurvival.com, PhilCraft Mobility on YouTube. Now we have two YouTube channels, uh, PhilCraft Survival. Um, we're going to start hubbing all the content. I'm actually considering taking locals and doing a PhilCraft page on locals and having a, a, a pay window for subscriptions. It's easy to manage. It's easy to put uh, um, um, exclusive content on the back end. So that's something you might see in the future. There's a lot of educational stuff. A ton of educational mm -hmm. stuff that we could do. Um, excited for the future, Heber City, Utah. Uh, thank you to everybody. Hope you guys have a good one. Later.